0: The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep on walking? Of course, you'd take the money. So why do you keep on picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win, which is nice. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. So they are number one. And as you know, as a famous athlete once said, if you ain't first, you're last. So let's go with the first place, guys, in my bookie. You can... Do parlay bets. You can string multiple games in together in one bet. You can change your bet, flip-flop at halftime if you've changed your mind or if the results on the field have changed from what you thought they would be. A little Benedict Arnold action on that. Anyways, if you join now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit mybookie.ag online today. You play, you win, you get paid.
1: Ghost
0: Steelers! Go Steelers! Say Ghost Steelers! Ghost Steelers!
2: In the wake of the Steelers' demise, there is a reflection of a half moon. Tantalizing the imagination. Less than 20% into the season, we sit in the dank recesses of our command centers. 55-inch Vizio in front of us in its glorious, spectacular Technicolor. Sonos soundbar blaring. Contemplating the number 33 on the bottom of our cold bottle of rolling rock. Wondering. Projecting. The Steelers record for 2019. And then we're rewarded with our patience with an incredible 27 to 3 drubbing of the lowly, lowly, lowly Cincinnati Bengals. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's October 2nd, 2019. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Nick, this was one of those games you wish would never end. It was as if magic fairy dust was sprinkled on everybody on the Steelers team and everybody, try as they might, could not blow this game.
0: We got them. We won a game. The pressure is off, ladies and gentlemen. The Steelers Super Bowl hunt is back on. I'm calling it now. Uh, As Ron Burgundy's friend once said, I think it was Vince Mantooth, when referring to, I believe, Luke Wilson's character of the Channel 3 News team, which of course is the Cincinnati Bengals in real life. Those dirtbags have been in third place for 10 years running. And if by third place, I'm in fourth place now that the Browns are actually good. So no matter how good or bad the Steelers are, and no matter how good or bad the Bengals are, we can always count on Cincinnati to get the Steelers back on track. Uh, listen, it's, uh, it's a scary see- season for the Steelers. And weirdly enough, If they lost that game, they would have been 0-4 and well on their way to maybe the worst finish in Steelers history in the last 50 or 60 years. It's not exactly like they're out of the red yet, but instead, they get out with a convincing win, a win that fans shouldn't only be happy about because it's just a win. A win is nice, but it was convincing, and and I know the Bengals suck, and we're going to talk about that because they really do suck, maybe even worse than we thought they did, but... It's not like this was a dogfight. The Steelers played very well. And the Steelers fans should be happy with the way they played and and be a little bit encouraged for what's going to happen coming up in this season. But instead of being 0-4, they're literally one game out of first place in the AFC North with the Baltimore Ravens coming to town next week. So, you know, with a loss, we could see the Steelers going back into the dull drum Steelers nation. But with a win, uh, man, how quickly the tides turn.
2: Yeah, you could look at it. And uh, sort of, you could be depressed by the fact that, oh, crap! It's only the, the Bengals, and they were horrible. But if you don't win this, you can't win anything else. I mean, let's face it. Took care of business during this game, and racked up. Uh, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll find a lot of obscure statistics that will uh, where we hit some records. As a matter of fact, what was it? So, Mike Tomlin was 14 and two coming into this game on Monday Night Football, six and zero at home. And the Steelers won 17 straight games before last night. That was my primary objective, that we don't break that streak.
0: Yeah, the Steelers are better at home under the lights at Heinz. And I know that's one of those, I don't even know if you can call it like a mercurial stat. It's just one of those things where, oh, if you buy it, okay. But maybe that's more like coincidental than anything else. You know, a team is a team. That's not true, man. The Steelers play very well. At night at Heinz Field and so many of their big signature wins over the last few years and really over Tomlin's tenure, especially they've come at nighttime at Heinz and they do seem to get up for those big games, uh, just like the way that they don't get up for the one o'clock games that don't matter seemingly. But yeah, I guess a little night game at Heinz was what they needed to get back on track.
2: You sort of hope that the momentum from that the fandom, Steeler, Steeler Nation, will, is going to carry over to next week. I mean, it's such an advantage yeah. having back-to-back home games against AFC North opponents.
0: I mean, I think it will because it's like early enough in the season where the Steelers team and the fans, we can all trick ourselves into thinking that maybe the Steelers are back in playoff contention. And and I don't want to go that far, but I also you know, want to point out that, hey, they looked good last night. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, but – they, there's there's definitely some potential on this team. Like we said, since the whole offseason, it's an awesome stacked roster. Now you lose a superstar player who happens to be a quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger, that's just going to – it's the most important position on the field. We The game is generated to weight that position, you know, more importantly than any of the other ones. So, yeah, it's going to – change the entire outlook of your season. But besides that, the roster has good players on it, top to bottom. And well, we're going to get into some of the performances of the running backs of this spectacular defensive line that has really been playing excellent the whole season, at least after the New England game. Devin Bush with the coming out party. But uh, what you were saying about the Ravens coming to Hines next week, I think that if you win that game, and mind you, the, the Ravens have just gotten blown out two weeks in a row they lost by a ton to Cleveland and they sort of made it close at the end against the Chiefs but it really wasn't that close. I mean the Steelers won't be favored in this game but it's not outrageous to say they could win it and if they can get something going early that stadium is going to be absolutely rocking.
2: So, why don't we go through? It? I'm just curious. I mean it it felt good to beat up on the on the and the Bengals but and we saw some guys that we've seen some spark from before like to it explode. I mean, eight sacks. I kind of like to start on the defensive side of the ball. It was so dominating, but it makes you. It just makes you wonder whether we can project any success going into the future because yeah. of what uh, uh, we were facing on the offensive line. So I think
0: that there are, you know, we've already talked a little bit about the sort of social kind of aspects of the game. You know, the narrative aspects, the fact that the Steelers won. They crushed a team that was very bad. So, yeah, that has to be taken into account. But the Steelers have played down to those teams in the past. And that's why I'm saying the fact that they dominated so thoroughly as the game went on, that's encouraging. That's much better than getting in a dogfight with the Bengals. So we talked about that. Now, if we're moving towards what actually transpired on the field, there's, there's a couple themes, but there's two main ones that jump out to me. Number one on defense, like you said, the performance of the defensive line. I mean, they've been awesome all year, but eight sacks on Andy Dalton last night, that offensive line is absolutely putrid, but it's not like they got two, three, four sacks. These They got eight sacks and multiple hits and just totally dominated the entire game. So that's the first kind of theme I think about. Uh, everyone got in on the action. Cam Hayward, we had a scare early in the game when it seemed like he bruised a quad or something like that, but he came right back in to get another sack. To it is continuing this breakout season late in his career i mean i think we're getting to the point where we can really qualify it as a breakout season for to i don't know how much is just that he's staying healthy but he's absolutely killing it hargrave killing it Alulu got a sack bud dupree had the best play of his whole career bull rushing that tackle and forcing the strip fumble which tj watt recovered of course tj watt has a uh, another sack of his own and yep Cincinnati, terrible offensive line, but uh, that's what you're supposed to do to them. Uh, the Steelers' defensive front was totally dominant, and Cincinnati never really stood a chance because of that.
2: You know, one name you didn't mention because I guess it's just assumed that Cam Hayward, you know, captain. I said he, in his, the beginning. I'm sorry. Well, he, uh, you know, I, I think his job is just to stuff the hole, but I mean, he had two and a half sacks himself, he had, uh, and a forced fumble. So he had a fantastic game. I think he was named as Steeler of the Week, by the way.
0: And these guys, Cam and Watt, when they weren't getting sacks, they were collapsing the pocket, and they were driving their guys back into Andy Dalton. And basically, um, Chris Sims has a great uh, thing that he uses to describe that play. For defensive linemen, stats can't always track their domination. He has It's called the – I'll let you fill in the blanks, but it's the F to play up stat where – Maybe Cam Hayward doesn't make the tackle, but he pushes two guys back into the lap of Andy Dalton, which forces Andy Dalton to bail to the left a little bit, and then Bud Dupree gets the sack. And and that that doesn't get shown on the stat sheet for Cam Hayward, but Cam did it, it did it, Hargrave did it. Every single player, Watt did it. Everybody did that on the defensive line. So it was thorough dominance from top to bottom. And that's what we said when the year started is that, the Steelers, yes, they lost Brown. It was going to be a big deal. We didn't realize it would be as uh, gargantuan of a deal as it was in that first week against the Patriots. And, and now we'll never really know because without Ben being there, it's, it's just tough to get a gauge. But, um, you know, we said the trenches are so strong that you're going to be able to make a game with, with pretty much anybody unless you're playing like a Patriots or a Chiefs who can just score 40 points on people, right? Um, And that's what the defensive line has done. And we'll get into the offensive line side of it. I will say they – there's some worrisome things with that offensive line. But overall, they still got a lot of talent and a lot of experience. And and really, the Steelers controlled the line of scrimmage in this game, uh, particularly on that defensive side. And that's how they ended up really dominating. That's where it really came from.
2: And I think the other theme is the creativity on offense. We didn't think – do you remember the scene in – animal house when they're sitting in the room about ready to go on double secret probation. And John Belushi says to that geeky guy, the stork, he said, we didn't think he could talk. That's right. I didn't think, I didn't think Feetner had any kind of creativity in him, but man, Jet Sweep and the Wildcat. It was, and the the great thing about this is it was designed for the players he has. And it wasn't just being creative just to try something different. I think he really played to the talent on the field.
0: He did. So the Wildcat theme that's just so unexpected. We've seen the Steelers run a Wildcat play here or there. Uh, The most notable is when Michael Vick had to start that game at night against the Chargers when they were still in San Diego, and Le'Veon Bell just absolutely dominated the game. And then Tomlin went for it. Uh, went for the win on the one-yard line with no time left, and he put Le'Veon Bell in the, in the Wildcat, and he ran to the left and just barely got the ball over the goal line. And again, they, they kind of ended up using a little bit of that because they didn't have Ben. Michael Vick couldn't throw the ball forward past the line of scrimmage, and they just had to make do with what they had. And that's basically what Tomlin said about this game. And, and that's why they used the Wildcat. He said basically because they're down two tight ends with Vance and Grimble. And they're starting fullback with Rosie Nix, and they have a basically a rookie quarterback in there who needs to get his sea legs still, and so you can't really push the ball to Juju uh, that often. And really on the field, you don't have many proven playmakers who have made plays in professional games before outside of Juju, James Conner, and Jalen Samuels. So he wanted to find a way to get the ball in the hands of guys who have done it on a professional field uh, before. So that's Samuels and Connor. And also, like, so from like a personnel standpoint, that's a great move, right? But also, as we've said, the Steelers' running game, it has struggled this year. And it struggled again against the Bengals. It wasn't any better. The offensive line is in trouble. They haven't been great pass blocking, which is usually their – way they're superstars and they're usually kind of up and down run blocking we've seen them have some dominant stretches particularly with Le'Veon Bell but they are downright not good right now with the run blocking but sometimes that's because of the play calling is so predictable there are times this year when has called the same run play two times in a row I mean we saw how hard they tried to do that counter toss against the Patriots in the first game they just refused to abandon it no matter how many times it lost yards So I think the jet sweeps, the motions, the Wildcats, those were also uh, like a good response to, we need to find different ways to run the ball. In addition to that, the Steelers' offense has been, I mean, it's it's probably down there with the Dolphins and the the Broncos and some of the worst teams in the league so far this year. You just got to find some creative way to do something different. And the Steelers have never run the Wildcat or those jet sweeps to like any extent at all. So on top of that, Cincinnati wasn't prepared for it. Was I surprised that it worked as well and as often as it did? Yeah, I was kind of shocked. After they did the first two, I thought, great, it's worked. Feetner is just going to do this the whole game, and he's never going to give up on it, and they're going to catch on to it. Well, they never caught on to it. So if, if they don't stop it, you run it until they stop it. You make them stop it. They never did. He did a good job with all of that.
2: My prediction is that we're going to go to the wing T in week five.
0: Yes, the option offense. Uh, so, kind of as an extension of that offensive game plan was Mason Rudolph once again only threw the ball past the line of scrimmage two times, and both of them are touchdowns. Right, but I think he set. Uh, I think like Tom Brady set a record for the last few years uh, when he played against Buffalo on Sunday in that terrible game. He had he had like three point nine like average yards per pass, uh, like, like air yards or whatever, uh, and that came against Buffalo. And then Mason Rudolph went ahead and broke that recent record in this game with like 2.8 yards per pass. But you know what? It really worked, this short passing game. It seemed like 90% of the completions were to the running backs. I think they had like 18 catches between Samuels and Connor. And they just used this creative extension of the running game with jet sweeps, jet sweep motions, fakes, Wildcat runs and these short passes and screens, and they were able to manufacture ways to get the ball downfield. And, and honestly, not to look on the on the on the dark side of things, but. You know, they're not going to be able to do that next week, and they're not going to be able to do that again. The, the element of surprise is gone, and you're only playing a couple teams as bad as the Bengals for the rest of the year. But hopefully, you can use that stuff to incorporate in your offense going forward. And what I really liked about it is we've been yelling and screaming and pounding the table all year for Feetner to manufacture some completions for Rudolph, to manufacture some space for James Conner, who every time he's touched the ball this year, he's pretty much surrounded by 10 guys. Well, he he did a great job with that. And the way you do that is with misdirection, fake handoffs, and just and creative play calling. And we've been demanding it and he came through with it. So we'll see what he does next week and, and going forward, but you gotta give them credit for this week because they really did a good job. And I think they realize like they're starting to realize how spoiled they were just being able to say, hey, just throw Ben and A B out there and they'll basically figure it out. And I've I've seen Seattle does the same thing with Russell Wilson. Uh, Green Bay has done the same thing with Aaron Rodgers, Uh, Deshaun Watson in Houston, Carson Wentz. These quarterbacks who can create, I think the coordinators get a little bit lazy, and hopefully the Steelers are now being able to figure out the other side of that.
2: You know, it's incredible the influence this podcast has, not only on (laughs) fandom, but also on the Steelers themselves. Well, credit to the Steelers for for recognizing that. I mean, we have no idea what's going on inside the locker room and the coaches' meetings, but de- I mean, this, this is what I really appreciated about that game: the change in the game plan was so stark. They obviously they've obviously had a wake up call. Like we got to, you know, we had to play within Mason Rudolph's boundaries. We have, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the passing game in a minute, but he, he was twenty four for twenty eight. I don't care. I mean, it's still it's a, yeah. it's a it's a lofty number. I know that they were most of them were pretty short or incredibly wide open, but right. who cares, right? I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next week. Are they going to game plan? For this? this seems like this would be fairly hard to game plan for, especially with the employment of Jalen Samuels. I mean, he didn't even see the ball last week, and all of a sudden, was that the plan? We're going to hide him for a week, and then we're going to bust him out against the Bengals, and he's going to have an incredible day.
0: You're half joking, but at the same time, Randy Feetner said earlier in the week that he kind of blamed Mason Rudolph for some of the struggles of not being able to get the ball down the field last week because he got a lot of questions about it, rightfully so, after that 49ers game when they didn't try to throw the ball past the line of scrimmage. And he kind of put it on Rudolph saying, like, he needs to throw the ball. Like, we called the plays. He has to throw the ball down there. And then later in the week, they talked about you know, what they had to do to get the ball moving against Cincinnati. And he said, like, we have to go downfield. We have to go downfield early. And they never did. They didn't. They faked him out. So maybe they were hiding Jalen Samuels. And I really wonder how much, like, gamesmanship that was or if that's intentional or if it's not. But at the end of the day, here's what I think. Like, it worked fantastic. I don't know if their plan was to run that the whole game. I mean, I'm almost scared, you know, running that type of thing. I could have seen the Steelers go three and out a couple times early. And they'd be really screwed, but it worked. And then maybe to their credit, they say like, Hey, we, we're going to run this until they prove they can stop it. And they never did. Now uh, we'll get into Mason Rudolph in just a second here, but they will have to throw the ball downfield, Like eventually some plays need to be made down the field. Right. But um, you know what? It worked. The element of surprise worked. And just the fact that, like I said, we haven't seen the Steelers manufacture a lot of com- uh, completions uh, for their players over the past few years. And, Especially, go back and watch the 49ers game, you guys. And we talked about it before the game and after the game. So much of what the 49ers do is, everything they do is based off their run game. You heard Eric Davis talk about that. They do a lot of run plays, and they run them the exact same way as the play action version of it. So they run a run play a couple times, and what they do is they set it up so they can run it later in the game. Or, and then they also set up these plays with a particular run that they like over the course of a season. And then they develop a, a play-action pass where, like, let's say you're running a power to the right side of the line, where basically, like, you're handing it to the running back and he's going to go in between, you know, the tackle and the, and the guard. And um, you design the exact same play where the quarterback goes back and fakes the handoff to him and just kind of pulls up, steps up in the pocket, and then delivers a strike downfield. Okay, that's one counter. Another counter is this time you fake it, but the quarterback bootlegs out to the opposite side and runs a waggle and then throws something to somebody on a cross. Like there's a million different ways you can build these things off of each other to make them look like your bread and butter that the other team has been preparing for for weeks. And then you hit them with the back door. So I think that um, hopefully that's the start of what the Steelers are doing. And I agree, it was, it was funky. I'm sort of surprised it worked as well as it did for the course of the whole game, but they really executed very well. And they were smart to say nobody's made plays this year. It's hard to get the ball to Washington and Deontay and Juju downfield because Mason's new at this and our line is in flux. Let's find a way to get the ball to Jalen and and, and, uh, J.C.
2: Again, I'd say – who cares how we get it done, right? I mean, the, we'll oh, talk yeah. about Juju in a second. But if you look at the passing statistics, and I I mentioned twenty four for twenty eight for two hundred twenty nine yards. But what's really interesting, I'm looking at the comparison of Mason's passing to Andy Dalton. The average depth of target, whether the ball was whether the pass was completed or not, is five and a half yards for Dalton, three point three yards for Mason Rudolph. And if you look at Air yards completed per pass attempt. Dalton had two and a half, but Mason Rudolph's average air yards, two point two yards. I mean, this feels like when we we would get eviscerated by the Patriots. This right. is all. This is all that Tom Brady did. I always wonder why don't we do what they're doing? That seems to be. That seems to work. <laughs> right. So yeah, they play with it. They do. They,
0: step, they play it plays up. I mean, the Steelers need to learn how to do that. I and mean, that's what I was just talking about. What, what were you going with? What you're saying right there?
2: No, I'm just saying I I, I just give credit to Feetner and whomever is making these decisions yeah. that we played within our talent. Um, I'm re- I would really like to see James Washington break out, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to win the game and to be effective. And they play within what I mean, maybe this is a, a matter of Mason Rudolph just getting a rhythm and that's fine if there are a bunch of 2.2 yard completions. Let by the way, yards after completion Andy Dalton 80, yards after completion for Mason Rudolph 167. So, he was finding guys not only open or he's making the completion, but guys were open enough to you know, yards after ca- to accomplish some yards after catch.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and Fietner and Butler have deserved all of the crap they've gotten this season. I think that their players have not played well and they can't get an excuse, but I really do think far and away the coordinators and the head coach, uh, have been the biggest culprits in the season's, uh, failures so far. Other people are big culprits too. Don't get me wrong, but their, their lack of strategy has been disgusting. So we got to give them credit for this game, but I really want to see what it, can you do it twice? Can you do it twice in a row? So, um, Again, not to look on the dark side. This was awesome. We're giving them all the credit. Let's see what you can build off of that. Can you build an offense now instead of just being able to rely on, you know, Hall of Fame skill position players and being able to roll them out there and, and watch what they do? Do you want, Speaking of skill position players, you want to get into the positional grades? Well, not really May right. we? Talking about them. Sure.
2: Sure. So James Conner, oh, 10 attempts for
0: oh, – go ahead. I'm let's sorry. Start, let's start with a little bit more with Mason. I know we've just kind of been talking about him a little bit, but – Sort of he looked
2: fantastic him. in the post-game interview, by the way.
0: Clean cut. Ready to, ready to talk.
2: Could you picture him in 1965 having a, having a Winston during the post-game interview? Oh, yeah. yeah he could be like the Marlboro Man.
0: Nobody can say that word. Marlboro. 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 Pell-mell. Whatever. Either way. Okay, so here's my thing on Mason. Mason was good. He was poised. He looked more comfortable than he did against the 49ers. It's understandable, man. You got to understand that was his first start on the road. I think very few quarterbacks have ever won their first start on the road. Also on the West Coast, which is extra difficult. And he looked noticeably nervous against the Niners. And I was really surprised because I thought he looked very comfortable when they played the Seahawks. So I didn't expect that. He looked a lot more comfortable against the Bengals at Heinz. He made a couple plays when he had to that little nice scramble where he threw it to ja uh, to, uh, Vanette, Nick Vanette, the new tight end. It's Nick, right? Right. Nick. Yeah. That should be easy for me, but yeah. And Vanette, nice catch on that one, but he made a couple little plays where he moved his feet and moved the chains a couple times. They were still pretty bad on third down. I don't know what the stats ended up being. It was pretty brutal in the first half, if I remember correctly, but made a couple plays when he needed to make them. And ran the offense, hit those little short passes, protected the ball, did not turn it over, which is kind of critical at this juncture of his career. And, uh, yeah, I think it was fine. And once again, I want to give him credit for that, and I just want to see him build on it. I don't I, I'm not underwhelmed at all with how he played. I think it's appropriate for the guy's second game. There's not really this proven commodity or proven system he's getting thrown into on offense. If the Steelers still had Brown and I'm sorry you guys that that's it. we're still in the beginning of the season. I, like that's still a big part of what's happened to the Steelers. Um If they still had him, maybe I'd expect some more downfield shots because if Brown's on the field, defenses play you way differently and more things are going to be open. But right now, defenses aren't scared of the the Steelers, and so he's kind of working with what he has. And I just uh, think he played a good game. We do need to see him start to make some plays over the course of the next few weeks. And if he doesn't make a couple big plays against the Ravens, pushing the ball downfield, then they're not going to win. No chance.
2: You mentioned Vanette, and I was think of a particular play. What what I want to mention, and you were breaking up a little bit, but he did dance a few on a few plays. I mean, he looked very ben like, kind of pirouetting through the mayhem that is the backfield, and made a couple plays. So I did appreciate. He just has a calm about him, at least so far, that um, bodes well.
0: Maybe more Brady-like than Ben-like, perhaps. People forget how fast uh, Ben was, relatively speaking, when he was a younger man. You know, he eventually turned into the to the to the rock slider, just kind of sliding around like a big uh, like the Pillsbury Dough Man, P- Pillsbury Dough Man, or like the jet puff, State Puff Marshmallow guy, but with with, uh, with some agility. He's like it was weird that the Steelers had Jerome Bettis and. Ben Roethlisberger, the two most graceful big men that you've ever seen. But when Ben was young and a little bit lankier, he was uh, pretty fast moving around back there. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Mason did a good job. So running backs, there was a star of the show. I thought that there was almost nowhere for them to run. I felt so good for James Conner scoring that touchdown. You can see how frustrated he is, and he's such a good, high-character guy that he does not let that leak over to the rest of the team. But you could see the emotion just pouring out of him and how hard he runs for every yard. He's averaging like 2 point yard, 2.8 yards a carry this year or something like that. So that's pretty embarrassing, man. I mean, he's got a he's a pretty famous player just because of his story and then for taking over for Le'Veon Bell, obviously high-profile situations, and we've been defending him. I mean, the fumble was horrific last week against the Niners, but other than that, man, he's, you know, he should be losing four yards on a lot of these carries where he's getting back to the line of scrimmage, and they finally got on the ball in some space, and he made some things happen, and it looked really good. And, and for me, Jalen Samuels, he's such a funny case, man. He doesn't look quick. He doesn't look fast. He doesn't have crazy jukes, but he's just so smooth. And he just kind of makes these economical cuss and knows how to get yards. And I love seeing him more involved. And maybe he can really occupy that James White role that, that James White does for the Patriots. You see how uh, just for certain games, it seems like James White just dominates for them. And maybe that's where Jalen Samuels can go because he really displays a similar skill set of being able to run inside the tackles, outside the tackles, and catching the ball and playing quarterback.
2: Well, Connor did have 4.2 yards, so he had 10, yard, 10 carries for 42 yards. Um, and what I noticed about him is just he's always going to get four, three or four more yards if he gets past yeah. the first level. Once he gets past the first level, you just need a lot of firepower to bring him down because he just moves in crazy yeah. ways.
0: Uh, I'll say this. They put Benny Snell in. I'm <sighs> – I'm all for giving Benny Snell some carries here or there because you can develop some confidence, kind of like what James Conner did his rookie year if you have a couple of good runs, but bringing oh. him in for the fourth and one thing I've seen Tomlin do this before, whether it was Dree Archer or Dwyer or, or, or when he would put D'Angelo Williams in on the goal line, you remember D'Angelo started for a year and he was great. And then Le'Veon came back like, Oh, what's going to happen to D'Angelo? I guess he's going to have to be on the bench. Well, they just tried to find a way to get D'Angelo on the field because, like, oh, he's so good, so we'll put him in on the one-yard line. You have Le'Veon Bell. What is the point? <laughs> this, Le'Veon Bell, this isn't, like, some little guy. It's not like you have Marshall Falcon drum bet. like, oh, let's put the Hall of Fame bruiser in there. No, just Le'Veon Bell's better than D'Angelo at everything. And James Conner is better than Snell at everything. So I understand wanting to get him some carries, but running him on, on the fourth down in the first quarter or whatever it was, I just don't understand why you don't put Le'Veon or why. You, damn it, I wish you could put Le'Veon Bell in there instead. Why you don't put James Conner in there? I think Tomlin gets a little too cute and a little wrapped up in these narratives too often. Like Snell, he's going to be the bruiser. No, you have a guy who's more explosive, stronger, faster, and better at everything. It's the first quarter.
2: Yeah, it was a little disturbing. It still doesn't feel like we have a go-to guy when it's third and short third and one it should we're just going to blast it off it should be connor and you know we we agree it's not connor it's the offensive line
0: yeah he got swallowed up on the fourth and one they did give it to connor after they gave it to snell and he got tackled the instant he touched the ball so anyways and
2: and they're gonna bubble wrap mason apparently because we haven't seen him sneak one yet have we no no all right move on to receiving which is i have to say it's concerning as much as I compliment Feitner or whomever on the game plan, it is concerning that the lead receivers were Connor and Jalen Samuels. Deontay Johnson had a, a, obviously that big that big break wide and, um, yeah, wide open. So I, I, I don't really count that. But that's, I mean, maybe it's not a function of the receiver so much. It's just like this is just playing into Mason Rudolph's capabilities at this time and easing him into the game.
0: we don't we won't know what we have with these receivers until he can start pushing the ball downfield a little bit more so unfortunately we can't really grade them I mean the early fumble by Deontay Johnson is the only reason why the Bengals even scored a point so that's no good but maybe that's kind of a little bit of a welcome to the NFL moment for him and now he kind of got that off of his back so uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is Juju and we were talking about this before the podcast, but. Juju had a lot of pressure on him going into this year. Obviously, the high-profile wide receiver who left and everyone penciling Juju in as the guy who's going to replace him, not to mention the fact that they had a couple little spats after Brown left the team as well. Well, Juju's not really going to even have the opportunity to blossom as a full number one wide receiver this year. And I'm not saying that he can't have a great year or that, you know, hopefully as Mason Rudolph gets better throwing the ball downfield or throwing the ball to wide receivers over the year. I think that Juju can have some big games, but he's just not going to be able to have the type of year he could have had with Ben. So we're just not going to know. And there's going to, I think there's probably going to be a lot of games where he barely has any yards or touches or any touchdowns at all. And that's just kind of going to be what the year is going to be for, for him just because of this backup quarterback situation. And it's no offense to anybody, but look proof's in the pudding quarter of the season's done. Does he even have a touchdown yet? He just barely got over a hundred yards for the whole season. So I give him credit for keeping the morale up because he is the Prince of Pittsburgh. I mean, this guy can do no wrong and there's a lot of pressure on him. And I imagine it sucks to be psyched that you're going to, he was already like a household name, getting these huge commercials and everyone was ready to insert him as the next big Pittsburgh wide receiver. And the numbers just are not going to be there this year. And So far, he has done a great job of supporting his teammates and keeping that crazy, positive juju energy that's so infectious, celebrating with his teammates. He was mic'd up, so he knows that the camera's on him. He's always very good with that. And I applaud him for keeping his head in the game that way, and it's something to watch for the whole season. Hopefully, he can keep that positivity up because I feel for him. it, it, It would be frustrating if I were him, you know, not getting the ball like that. And we know not everybody would react like that.
2: Yep. What, do you, what do you mean by? That?
0: What do I mean by that?
2: So the question is: Is this playing perfectly into uh, Juju's fourth? we fourth year next year contract year?
0: Yeah, contract year. He's a second round pick.
2: So. so, so the strategy, and I again give credit <laughs> to Tomlin for right. keeping the yardage down, and we're going to lock you. him up.
0: <laughs> That's right that's it. it's brilliant okay we got a. hey what do you think
2: about here, nick right? vinette two catches two targets two catches 28 yards a long of 28 that was a really cool play when um mason on that comeback i mean he just sort of right. laid it out there yeah man, Vinette played I- it perfectly and i was watching i think Vinette can block you know he just looked pretty natural in there and uh it's pretty amazing how a guy can pick up the game so quickly just dropping in a new team and having to adopt a new vernacular.
0: Yeah, well and he's not a great blocker by any means but hopefully he can be a Jesse James type of guy who makes a, a bit more a few more plays down the field than Jesse did while he was there. I know a lot of people were upset about trading for him because he is in a contract year. Basically the, the Steelers have to sign him in an open free agency after the year end. So I understand the concern there but To trade him for a fifth-round pick, uh, well, he sort of traded him for Josh Dobbs and a fifth-round pick, if you kind of go through the math there. I don't mind that. I'm sorry, because the guy's 26 years old. It's not like he's going to have a monster season with Mason Rudolph and fetch a pretty penny on the open market. I think the Steelers will be able to resign him. I don't think that they would have gotten him if they didn't have that in their plans. Pete Carroll even admitted the Steelers had been after him for a few years, so I like the signing for a 26-year-old guy. You got another five good years out of this dude for a fifth-round pick. I mean, there's, like, people will point to, like, I don't know. I can't remember, like, what it? I can't remember the fifth-round picks who have been good for the Steelers recently. But there's, like, yeah, three out of 15. William Gay was a fifth-round pick. And he wasn't even good for 10 years. <laughs> it took him a while. So this is what the Patriots do. They trade these mid-round picks for proven guys and you need some depth at the tight end position. You can't just roll into the season with one tight end. You have to have two. And especially when your first tight end is Vance McDonald, who can't play a full season. We know that. So I actually like the addition of him. We hadn't had a chance to talk about it on the podcast. And I don't mind giving the fifth round pick. And for anybody out there saying like, you know, I could see the other argument being, oh, you can package that fifth round pick and, and, and find a way to, to trade up in the draft. Um, I don't, I don't really think that's going to get you the trade-up like you want. That fifth-round pick is usually thrown in with a second-round pick or whatever it may be, you know, um, to get somebody. So I like the idea of getting a, a role player who's going to be on the team.
2: Gentlemen, remember the days of yore when you would hear the lofty words. Gentlemen, start your engines, and upon ignition, the engine would roar, and you would leap to your performance. Do you want to get back to those days? Do you want to increase your performance to get that extra confidence in bed? Well, listen up. BlueChew.com. Blue like the color blue. Not depressing blue, but blue. You know what I'm talking about. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. It's the Italian pronunciation. So you know how it works. You can take them any time, day or night, on a full stomach, empty stomach, vomiting in the back, backseat of the Uber. And since they're chewable, they may work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And I know with our audience, that opportunity presents itself quite often. If you could benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most gentlemen talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in a pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. Blue Chew is made in the good old U.S. of A., and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now we've got a special deal for our listeners Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code, Armchair. Just pay $5 for shipping. Again, that's chew. You know how to spell blue, people. chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. So do you want to hear who the fifth round picks have been? Give it to me. Okay, so Zach Gentry, Marcus Allen. Jalen Samuels, Brian Allen, The Outlaw, Jesse James. That was a good one. Shaquille Richardson, who I never really understood. And I'm just trying to look through this list to see if anybody really stands out. Steven, Stevenson Sylvester. Yeah, yeah.
0: Anyways, you get the point.
2: <laughs> and Billy Gay. Uh,
0: big play, Billy Gay. Hey, I got to, unfortunately, I got to get kind of moving here. So I didn't, I lost track of time celebrating the Steelers win. So you want to hop over to, we already talked about the coordinators. I think we talked about the defensive line already. They were spectacular. The one guy we haven't talked about was Devin Bush. We're four games in. He leads all rookies and tackles. He's top 10 in the NFL in total tackles, regardless of, what year player you are. And last night he actually looked like he was really processing and making plays the way we saw him make in the preseason a little bit. And then of course at Michigan, and that is very encouraging if he's already starting to turn around, I think he already has almost as many or more snaps in his rookie year than Shazier had his entire rookie year. So Mm. he is on the fast track.
2: So here's the only comment I have about the defense. And I was highly critical of, Mark Barron, because the camera seemed to catch him at the worst time. It's sort of like when the president gets caught in a f- photograph and he just has making a face. But he always seemed to be lollygagging and not moving quickly. But uh, the statistics say a little something different. He had 11 tackles, one tackle for loss, nothing spectacular. But you know, I, I would like to know what the jury says on Mark Barron at the end of the day.
0: He has not been good. Man, I don't think he was that great. He, I mean, he had the interception, having the 11 tackles. you got to give him credit for that. He has been able to string out some running backs a little bit better sideline to sideline when you'd see Vince and Bostick, you know, just get ran around in those situations. So from that standpoint, it's a little bit of an improvement. But he, for a guy who got drafted in like the top 10 as a safety, this guy cannot cover. And the lollygagging thing, I don't think it's just the presidential picture syndrome. It's real. I mean, the guy, it, its, it's been a, it was kind of a questionable signing to begin with. I know from a lot of people, I guess we liked it because it gives you a little bit more versatility and you can't get much worse than Bostick was. Uh, but I think you kind of just have a different uh, type of Bostick this year with, with Barron, and, and he wasn't that great. But uh, Joe Hayden drops another interception. That's brutal. That's just what the Steelers do. Mick Patrick didn't hear too much from him, but the secondary was pretty decent. Cameron Sutton had another breakup. I think he needs a bigger piece of the pie, and I wonder if he's going to challenge Mike Hilton for that for that corner spot eventually. In the nickel,
2: yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, the the defense. There's, there's really not a whole lot to to criticize. Odden Tate had one reception of 23 yards, and other than that, nothing really went further than 15 yards. Worst case.
0: That's how you do it. And just the Devin Bush emergence, I wouldn't call it like a, a giant breakout game like we saw from James Harrison with like the, the six touchdowns against Baltimore that he had all those years ago. But it was noticeable how much better he played and how much more comfortable he looked. I think he leads the league in recovered fumbles or something like that with like four already. Three or four already. It's been four games. So just having a nose for the ball, we know he will have that. Um, you know, when, when Watt was a rookie... That was sort of his calling card was, hey, he's not beating his man one-on-one, but he's just always around the ball, and that was more than you could say for Bud or Jarvis or these other guys. Well, Bush has got that as well, except for to an even greater extent because he shows these athletic flashes of being able to get around guys that even TJ, you know, a bottom-of-the-first-round type guy didn't have. But just the same type of thing where it's like maybe he's not processing enough to blow out plays in the backfield or make interceptions – at least in the first four, it's only four games into his career, but he's still around the ball, making tackles every single time. Cause he's so athletic and he can get there. So it's been a very encouraging start for him already. I mean, we're only four games in and Steelers got a win. They're playing the Ravens. That's going to be a tough one. This whole year is still going to be tough. You guys, they got to capitalize off of what they did, but that win goes a long way towards uh, It's It's very encouraging. And, I think the Steelers are really, really missing Mike Munchak. The reason why they're so bad right now, they're missing the guys who they lost. Ben, A.B., and Mike Munchak, it really shows up. And let's give Keith Butler some credit because Zach Taylor, the coach for the Bengals, he's been able to design these deep shots over the first three games where the Bengals have lost all three of those games, but they were in two of them. And they were completing all these Long balls to John Ross, who everyone thought was a bust. He broke the all-time record for 40-yard dash time and just didn't do anything his first few years in the league. And now he's been a deep threat all year. Didn't even get close against the Steelers, so you have to give Butler credit for that. I'd love to look at the All-22. I haven't got a chance to yet to see how much Minka and Terrell Edmonds had to do with that. But, yeah, the defense, obviously, they played great. Uh, I'll be very curious to what they see uh, up Well, to see what they do against a much more potent Ravens offense coming into Pittsburgh. But I definitely think this, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the Steelers won this game. Let's just say that.
2: High praise indeed. So you need to get to work. You guys out there need to hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost or leave us a note on our website at SteelersOutpost.com as soon as I update it. And shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. We
1: won! Okay, bye-bye.
2: All right, Nick. Good good episode. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion
1: Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is...